choir with a powerful song. It's impossible for us to raise our hands in worship unless we have a reverence for God. It's impossible for us to raise our hands in worship unless we have a reverence and a fear for who God is because there are times in life that things don't go well. And just like the song said, sometimes we raise our hands when things aren't going well. And the only way that we can do that is if we have a real proper understanding of who God is and that we reverence him and fear him. Speaking of fear, I had quite a bit this morning. It's time change Sunday. We forgot to change our clocks until 12 midnight. I wondered how many other people would be in that boat. It's a rainy Sunday. It's spring break Sunday. I really had a fear that there was probably gonna be four people here. <laughs> Thank you for coming. So thankful that you're here. You know, fear grips us in different ways. I think of when uh, I was going out to get the mail several years ago and I encountered um, a spider. I'm not really afraid of spiders, they're, they're fine. But this was a pretty big spider and I realized that it was a, about as big as the bottom of my foot and it would be very important that I was precise when I stomped on it. And so when I stomped on this rather large spider, um, I encountered for the first time in my life what a wolf spider is. Many of you may know what that is, but they carry their young on their backs in a sack. And so when I slammed down on that spider, what looked like a plague came out from underneath my foot and hundreds of little spiders began to crawl all over the ground in my leg. I was paralyzed in fear. When I finally shook myself from the fear, I began to shake my foot and um, take off the outer clothing. It was not pretty, the neighbors were not blessed. Fear can grip us all sorts of ways. I remember I had a, um, uh, a lock-in at a church and we decided to, to play hide and seek in, seek in the church and we weren't allowed to go in the sanctuary. And that music came on. The screaming that was heard. You know, when we're in church and the lights are on, it's beautiful. Imagine that in the dark. People are screaming and running from the church. It was a delight. But it was short-lived. Sometimes fear is not short-lived. You know, there's a lot of things that happen. I remember as a child, I would get scared in the middle of the night and I would run to my mom's room and um, she would not let me get in bed with 
my mom and dad, she would say, what does God's word say? That is not helpful. I'm scared. And I'd say, mom, I just, I'm just, I'm scared. I want to get, no, what does God's word say? And I would have to repeat, um, Psalm 56, when I'm afraid, I will trust in me. And I just kept repeating that over and over and over again. When I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. There's lots of fears that we as adults experience. Fear of failure, fear of terrorism, fear of rejection, fear of what others may think about us, fear of job security, fear of getting a speeding ticket. That doesn't last long for me. Fear of physical ailments, fear of losing reputation, fear of the unknown, fear of where the political arena is going, fear for your children, fear for your spouse, fear um, for church and school shootings, the fear of aging, fear of not measuring up physically or socially to the standards that the world has set, fear of being overlooked and undervalued, fear of being left behind, fear of missing out. There's so many things that we can be fearful of and this can be crippling when we filter things not through what is true and known, but when we filter things through the what if. This type of thinking will paralyze you, will cause debilitation and any forward movement for you or your family is hindered. Risk will be harder to come by. Courage will be short supply. The adage still holds true that when fear is encountered, you have two options, to fight or to fly. Because our society is experiencing more fear, there is a societal tendency to escape, escape reality. Even those that are fighting feel the tiredness of fighting all the time and they desire just to get away. Do you battle this escapism? Do you have an importance of comfort above all other things? How much time do you spend worrying about security and safety? How likely are you and your family to escape to the smartphone, to social media, to movies, Netflix binging? These are all experiences of escapism. How important is it for you to get away from it all? Are you engaging in people around you? Are you engaging in your problems? Are you just wanting to run away? All of us go through seasons where we feel overwhelmed by life and take advantage of the escape. And fear takes this opportunity to grip us and to stop us in our tracks. So when this happens, how do you move forward? How do you combat and cancel out the effects of fear? Warren Wearsby says, the fear of God is the fear that cancels all other fears. And that's what I wanna talk about today. The importance of fearing the Lord is realizing that he is powerful. He is mighty. And that God is on our side. And so we should have a reverence and a fear for him because he is bigger better, more equipped than we will be or anyone that comes in opposition or thing in our way. And so it's important for us to have an understanding and a reverence of God's fear. 
So many times we tend to, to put God in the picture of a little teddy bear instead of the roaring lion that he is. That's why I love C.S. Lewis. And I love the Chronicles of Narnia because he envisions the Jesus character in the, the lion, Aslan. And I love this quote that um, when they're talking about Aslan for the first time and Susan realizes that Aslan is not a man, but a lion. And not just a lion, but the lion, the great lion. She says, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. God is not safe, but he is good. God is powerful and he is worthy of our fear and our respect. But don't forget, he is also good. And that's important for us to have those two things together. Later, when they finally meet Aslan, The beavers and the children don't know exactly what to do or say when they see Aslan. And the quote goes, people who have not been in Narnia sometimes think that a thing cannot be good and terrifying at the same time. If the children had ever thought so, they were cured of it for now. For when they tried to look at Aslan's face, they just caught a glimpse of the golden mane, the great, royal, solemn, overwhelming eyes, and they found they could not look at him. And they went all trembly. When we encounter God, we should tremble at his greatness, at his power, at his awesomeness. Did you know that there are 300 times in the Bible that it references the fear of the Lord? That's not just a passing idea. The Bible is sprinkled with this truth that we should fear the Lord. And it's not a popular thing. We want to talk more about we should love the Lord. He loves us. But we, to truly love him deeply, we need to know him completely. And a part of that is fear. So I found this passage in Jeremiah. It's a real, real obscure passage in the Bible. If you're not a, a, a prophet reader, um, you may not have read through this. this pro- the Jeremiah 33 is much more famous. Um, but in Jeremiah 32, we encounter God talking about the importance of fearing him and his name. I want to give you a background and then we're going to read together and I'll ask you to stand in a minute to do that. But I want to give you kind of a background of what's happening. Jeremiah is a prophet and he is prophesying in front of, of, the, um, of the kingdom of Israel, the, those that um, are chosen by the Lord and they have rebelled against the Lord for a long period of time. And so God is in, in exacting um, punishment upon them and he is through the Babylonians. The Babylonians are coming in and they are laying siege to all of the towns that, um, that Israel is in the country. And so this is where they are. And, and Jeremiah has been speaking for years that this was going to come. It was so unpopular that he was put into prison. And the prison that he was in was in the king's court. And so there he is at the, at the very last 
fighting ground of where, where the fights are happening. And they have not been overtaken yet by Babylonians, but they're coming. And in this period of time where everything is laid siege and they're waiting, God comes and tells Jeremiah to buy some land. And that he's gonna have a cousin that's gonna come and offer him land if he'll buy it. Now the significance of that land is is that it is already in the hands of the Babylonians. It's not worth anything. And he buys the land. That takes guts. That takes an understanding of who God is because he's buying something that's worthless because God told him to. And he's putting his faith and his trust and his reverence and his fear in God over the Babylonians who are there at the doorstep, ready to take everything away. And here we come to this passage in chapter 32 where God gives a promise and he is saying, I will do these things for the people of Israel. And that is where we're going to begin. So if you have found the passage, Jeremiah 32, we're gonna start in verse 36. Would you stand as we read the word? Verse 36 says this, Now therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to this city about which you said, it has been handed over to the Babylon's king through sword, famine, and plague. I will certainly gather them from all the lands where I have banished them in my anger, rage, and intense wrath, and I will return them to this place and make them live in safety. They will be my people. I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so they will fear me always for their good and for the good of their descendants after them. I will make a permanent covenant with them. I will never turn away from doing good to them and I will put fear of me in their hearts so they will never again turn away from me. I will take delight in them to do what is good for them and with all my heart and mind, I will faithfully plant them in this land. You may be seated. As I'm reading through this promise found in Jeremiah, it's interesting that there's a correlation between God's promises and our fear. He sandwiches them. He's going to bring fear and he's going to bring a promise. I think that's very significant. So I began doing some study and trying to figure out about what is the fear of the Lord trying to define it for myself to make sure I understood because when I look at the scripture and I look at, at um, what it means in the Hebrew because it's in the Old Testament, what it means in the Greek, um, I'm trying to understand what does fearing the Lord look like? So one of the ways that you can do that besides looking at the, the Greek word and the Hebrew word is to see other places in scripture that God talks about fearing the Lord. And so the first thing that I discover is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is the beginning of understanding. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom 
and discipline. Fearing the Lord removes pride in myself, removes trust in anything other than God from the equation. When I fear the Lord, it's beginning of wisdom because I am saying, with him alone will be my counsel. When we experience difficulty, who do you run to for counsel? I lived in England for 13 months and I was a minister there. And the first three months, um, I called home quite a bit. Called ministers that were important to me when I had a crisis. Hey, what would you do in this situation? Called my mom, my sister, called several friends. Man, it was great. It was like a lifeline. I could just, it was so good. Technology is awesome. And I just would call and talk with them. And then I got the bill. They don't do monthly bills. They do quarterly bills. And it was enough. I had enough money from all that I had earned the last three months to pay my bill. And I began to realize that ain't going to work. I had to come up with a different way of getting wisdom. It was a great spiritual lesson to run to God first. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because he's the first one we check in with. Second thing, sustained by single-mindedness We saw in Jeremiah 32, 39 that it talked about that he'll give us a single-minded heart and action so that we will be able to fear him. But this isn't the only place that that says that. I found this passage in Psalms 86, um, 11 through 13, and this is what it says. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. In this Psalm, David begins the first part of the Psalm reminding himself of all that God is. He's his refuge, his strength, his, his portion, his light, his shepherd, his rock, his salvation. And by using all these different pictures to describe his relationship with God, David is remembering that his God is God in and over all of life. Whatever the problem, God is the solution. Whatever the question, God is his answer. Whatever the danger, God is his first resort. David doesn't just trust the Lord for his uh, forgiveness and eternal life. He trusts the Lord for everything in his life. That reminder helps him to remain single-minded on God and his provision. Fear of the Lord is being single-minded and putting God as the one and only. When it says God is above all gods in the, in the Ten Commandments, that's what it means is that he is above everything. He is the one and only God. We don't call anybody else. We start with him. We finish with him. Number three, fearing the Lord puts things in perspective. Remember I talked about that in Jeremiah um, chapter 32 that um, God asked him to buy land. That doesn't make sense. 
But at the end of the passage we read, we see that God says, I will take delight in them to do what is good for them. And with all my heart and mind, I will faithfully plant them in this land. He's going to give the land back to them. When we fear the Lord, it puts things in perspective. It's not the circumstances of today. It's that we know God is in control always. There are times in life that when we look around, circumstantial evidence says we're in trouble. But if we're trusting the Lord and trusting his promises, we know that he can work all things together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. We know that he has already won the victory, that the victory is his. We know that God is greater and stronger and more powerful than anything and anyone that comes up against us. And so regardless of what's happening today, if we fear the Lord, we know that he delights in doing good and he will plant us in the land that he's promised. Four, the fear of the Lord puts people in perspective. Matthew 10, 28 is an interesting passage that Jesus is talking with, um, with his disciples. It's, it's getting, um, it's getting tough, um, being a disciple and, uh, It's not always easy and it wasn't easy for them. And at this point in in his ministry, he is responding to some persecution and some things that were going on. And and Jesus said in uh, verse 28 of chapter 10 of Matthew, it's also found in Luke, do not fear those who kill the body, but are, are not able to kill the soul. Rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. we need to remember that this is not the end. And eternity is a long time. And we need to put that in perspective. I wish that um, I was better at um, fearing a speeding ticket. It lasts about three years for me. And then I catch myself getting a little faster and then I have to really call myself back in. Sometimes a police officer helps me with that. Sometimes we forget consequences. But the consequence we need to be reminded of is that people and their opinion of us do not matter in comparison to who God is. Sometimes I feel like we are afraid to share our faith because what if we lose a friend? We should be so fearful of what if they don't hear? Where will they be in eternity? I'd rather risk losing a friend in order to give them the message that will save their soul than to be silent because I just wanted another friend. The fear of the Lord helps put things in perspective and people in perspective. Ephesians 5.21 helps us as believers. It says, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. 
many difficulties and frustrations that we may have with other brothers and sisters in Christ could be resolved if we submitted to each other in the fear that Christ is the one that is King and Lord and not my opinion. If I was ready and willing to pray and say, Lord, give us unity, not Lord, give me my way. Fear of the Lord helps us put relationships and people in perspective. And then the last thing, I forgot to read um, Isaiah 8, 11 through 13, so I'll go back and do that. It helps us put me in perspective. Um, Isaiah 8, 11 says this, for this is what the Lord said to me with great power to keep me from going the way of this people. Do not call everything a conspiracy these people say is a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. Isaiah 8, 11 through 13. I love that passage. And the very beginning of that passage says, for this is what the Lord said to me with great power to keep me from going the way of this people. I need to be reminded of God's power because I am fickle and I easily forget. And so God comes with great power reminding me that he is one to be revered. It keeps me on the right path. It helps me and puts me in perspective that I don't know it all, but God does. I'm too easily affected by the drama and the pressure of right now. And I'm striving not to be drawn into that. But what this passage is telling is important that God with great power instills the proper reminder that he is God. I am not. He is bigger and more powerful than anything or anyone else. And I need to be reminded of that often. That's why it's so important to spend time reading his word every day. Yes, we need to be reminded that we're forgiven. Yes, we need to be reminded about God's grace. Yes, we need to be reminded that God loves us. But we also need to be reminded that he is powerful. Because when things are difficult and are hard, I don't want someone patting my back and saying, there, there, it's okay. I want someone saying, I'm a mighty warrior. I will defend you. I am your refuge and strength. I am your portion. I am your salvation. I'm not safe, but I am good. We need to be reminded that God is good, but he is powerful and holy. Martin Luther sums it up best in the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abides still. His kingdom is forever. So when we approach God with this fear, this reverence, this awe, 
God has a response for us. And that's what's so exciting to me about this passage. We begin to see he sets up the importance of fearing his name and then he shows his response. In verse 39, it says that he will do good to them and to their descendants. In verse 41, it says he delights in them and delights in doing good for them. Verse 41, it says he'll plant them in this land. I love this because God responds in kind when we fear him and we revere him, he tells us what he's doing as a powerful and mighty God. And he has the power to do it. Through the Bible, there's a major theme and phrase that says, do not be afraid. When we question God and his goodness, when we don't question God, sorry, when we don't question God and his goodness, we see God and his goodness more readily. Throughout the Bible, we see this phrase, do not be afraid. It's said it 145 times. And God sends this message to those who are fearing him. We've already heard that the fear of God is the fear that cancels all other fears. And we see some truths about this, that God is responding to us and saying, when you revere me, I draw near to you. Submit yourself to God. Be in fear. Submission and reverence means submitting ourselves to something greater than we are. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Is Aslan safe? No, but he is good. Is God safe? No, but he is good. God's goodness and fierceness are not mutually exclusive. When we question God, we are likely to hear what Job heard. Where were you when I created the world? But when we trust God, we're likely to hear God works all things together for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. God's response to us when we fear him is he draws near to us. Submit fear, reverence the Lord and he will draw near to you. The last thing that I learned about when I'm learning about the fear of the Lord that it's the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. But the end of wisdom is God's love. 1 John 4, 8 says this, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. So how can we rectify this passage with the 300 other passages that say fear the Lord? I think sometimes we run so quickly to there is no fear in love and we miss the part that it says perfect love drives out fear. When we come to God with fear and trembling, acknowledging that he is God and we are subject to him, his response is do not be afraid. Do not be paralyzed by fear, but he welcomes us in relationship with him. There's a quote from 
William Eisenhower in an article called Fearing God and Christianity Today. This is what it says. As I walk with the Lord, I discover that God poses an ominous threat to my ego, but not to me. He rescues me from delusions so that he may reveal the truth that sets me free. He casts me down only to lift me up again. He sits in judgment of my sin, but forgives me nevertheless. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but love from the Lord is his completion. So when I am afraid, I will trust in God. What do you fear? When no one else is around, what do you worry about? God is bigger than that. May I encourage you to channel that fear, that concern, that worry. May I challenge you to channel that to our God who is great and powerful. Will he make your life safe? No. But is he good? Absolutely. And can we trust him? With all of our being, we can. Today, you may realize that you've put your faith and your fears in something that is not God. And perhaps you need to come this morning and ask the Lord to forgive you and help you put fear in its proper place. And so today, the altar will be open for you to do that. You can come and just kneel and pray. You can talk with the minister. There'll be some up here. Maybe you just need to do that from your seat. My challenge to you, dear church, is not to run from fear, but to run to it. And his name is the Lord, God Almighty, who loves, who cares, who's powerful, who's holy and righteous, and who delights in his people when we revere him and fear his name. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to look at your word and to be challenged by it. Father, forgive me for times that I have put my fear in things that are temporary, have no strength eternally. Help me to be reminded that you and you alone are God. You and you alone are worthy of my reverence, my fear, my allegiance, my submission. So Father, we come before you today as a church. Father, draw us to you. Help us to submit to you. Help us to see you. In your sins, and we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Andre's going to lead us in a hymn of decision.